The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Impeachment, folks. We've got the latest on the impeachment saga. Uh, This is President Trump overseas, and you don't want to miss what he had to say with French President Emmanuel Macron. It was a crucial, pivotal press conference. Did you hear about it? It was everywhere. Meanwhile, Senator Kamala Harris, Democrat from California, dropping out of the Democratic presidential race and we've got the latest on the u.s china trade talks and a very special guest rob strayer is here he's the deputy assistant secretary for cyber and international communications and information policy at the u.s state department again the state department's rob strayer joining me to discuss 5g security and the u.s efforts to boost huawei rivals all of that and the latest from our all-star political panel matt gorman vice president a targeted victory and former NRCC comms director, and Richard Fowler's back, the nationally syndicated radio show host, and a Fox News contributor. So much to get through, especially as this report just getting released within the last couple of hours. President Trump declining to participate in tomorrow's House impeachment hearing. He's not also going to send attorneys. Meanwhile, the impeachment report that got released today, chaired by Democratic Chairman Adam Schiff from California saying that there was a, quote, clear and present danger from Trump. Republicans, mind you, released their 110-page report yesterday saying, essentially, nothing to see here, folks. So we'll get into that coming up, but we've got to start internationally because the geopolitics of today, both on the European front and between the U.S. and China, just out in full force. We've got We've got Rob Strayer here. He is the Deputy Assistant Secretary over at the U.S. State Department. Rob, thank you so much for being here. Kevin, it's great to be here. And I, I, I want to start with Huawei uh, because the, the China telecommunications giant, Huawei, you guys have a new announcement. Tell us with regards to what you're doing with Huawei. Well, the big news today is that the European Union has come out with a new set of conclusions on security for 5G. And there they're saying that they recognize that 
instantaneously the software in 5G networks can be updated and potentially compromised. So we need not just to have technical security measures, but also have non-technical measures that look at the legal system where the company that's supplying 5G hardware and software is headquartered. So this is a good sign from our European allies, is it's what I'm hearing? A sign of very positive progress on this. I mean, and just to step back, folks, remember, remember just a few months ago, there was criticism to the administration as it was negotiating with the Europeans. Was anybody, anybody in Europe following the U.S. lead as it relates to Huawei? And this isn't a Trump administration thing, mind you. There's Democrats, Republicans. This is really a nonpartisan issue. It's violent bipartisan agreement. We've testified on the you Hill numerous- violent? Violent bipartisan. Violent bipartisan. Exactly. There's a phrase I haven't heard before. Rob, go ahead. Yeah, bipartisan agreement yeah. on the Hill. We've testified numerous times. Democrats and Republicans both see the importance of securing our 5G networks and talking to our allies about securing their networks. They need to do so because our military alliances, our law enforcement cooperation, and our day-to-day -day commercial activities could be under mind if countries deploy unsecure 5G networks. I mean, just the headlines over the Bloomberg terminal. Elisa Sabenius uh, writing back in uh, April, U.S. tries to freeze Huawei out of Europe. Well, turns out you're moving in that direction. Meanwhile, just the other day, uh, Alistair Barge, see this? U.S. to tap $60 billion war chest in Boone for Huawei rivals. It looks like in developing countries, uh, the U.S. also making a play Yep. To, to bolster uh, some, some different companies, yeah. to keep Huawei out of these emerging markets. Well, look, Evan, we saw a massive public relations push by Huawei to make people think that they were massive. the only alternative. There was nothing else on the market. Now Europe, Europeans and others are waking up to the fact that they have Ericsson, Nokia, and Samsung available as alternatives that are trusted suppliers that are administered in countries that are following the rule of law and have democratic principles that will guide the uses of their data. So from when I, when I talk to my sources connected to Huawei and ZTE, what they say is, look, they've made changes. They've readjusted their board. They've tried to, to, to let this process play out through the courts. Is there anything that, that Huawei or ZTE could do to get the trust of lawmakers on Capitol Hill and the State Department? You know, what we're really seeing from Huawei is transparency theater. This is not really a serious attempt to be transparent about their activities. They still haven't disclosed what their activities are in the Xinjiang province in China. That's where more than a million Uyghurs are imprisoned in detention camps. And Huawei has signed an agreement with the security services there to cooperate on innovation and security. So what are they doing there? What does and, that mean? And we don't know. Uh, we want to, you know, if a company wouldn't be transparent, they would be more forward-leaning about what their activities are there. We also don't know what the involvement really is of the Chinese Communist Party that's nested in all Chinese companies. So they haven't been clear about a lot of the important areas that would be very important for uh, uh, countries to have uh, information about in order to make decisions about whether they can trust a company like Huawei. It was either Marco Rubio or um, Mark Warner, one of them. Both of them are, are really in agreement with you on this issue, a Republican and Democrat, respectively. And I asked them specifically about the supply chain of ZTE mm -hmm. and Huawei domestically. You know, there are supply chains and, and that that are connected to the international ecosystem what do you say to those folks who maybe are a bit uneasy that that you know impacting huawei and zte could impact u.s jobs well, over the long term, we need to lift everyone up to make yeah. sure they're abiding by the right standards to protect the future of our data. We don't want to end up in a situation where we have arbitrary surveillance networks, where dissidents that are overseas are being targeted by other countries, as China has done to uh, Uyghurs, and they've also done to Tibetan uh, dissidents over time. That is just one unacceptable. One could even say maybe Hong Kong. 
One, <laughs> one might. Uh, the important thing is that we stand up for those higher level of values. That will have impacts potentially in the supply chain. That's not our goal to end up in some kind of bifurcated supply chain scenario. But when it comes to the most critical of our technologies and critical parts of our data, we need to require that we are holding companies that will provide those technology and services to the highest of standards. Rob Strayer's here. He's the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Cyber and International Communications over at the U.S. State Department. Just a couple more questions for you. I do have to put you on the spot. You accuse me of being from the South. Yeah. I, I'm from Delco, and you come in, and you're like, oh, are you from, are you from the South? And I'm like, Rob, no. I, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, massive Philadelphia Eagles fan, and I just have to say, call me off guard. I've never been accused of being from the South. Our executive producer, Christine Barad, is here rolling her eyes. She's like, no idea where the Southern Charm reference came from. <laughs> um, just in terms of domestically, so we talked about other companies that might be poised to benefit from this, Rob. Sweden's Ericsson, you mentioned. Finland's Nokia. Any U.S. firms? that could potentially see, see uh, some, some benefit from this? Sure. Once you get away from what they call the radio access network, the radio that's closest to the user, Cisco's a major player in networking switching. Juniper Networks is huge there. And then also, if you look at the core guts of what's in all these uh, base stations and cell phones, it's Qualcomm, Intel, you know, major chip manufacturers, Xilinx, uh, you know, Marvell. There's a number of companies that are going to make money and do very well off of 5G. So uh, there's such a focus on the integrator that the component makers tend to be Western and American in particular. And final question, just what's the next step in all this process? What's the next big marker for the for the U.S.-China-Huawei so saga? Uh, so we're very excited to see that conclusions come out of the, the yeah. which is a political statement. There will be actual security measures released likely later this month in the European Union. Then we want to work with governments around Europe and around the globe to implement I mean, these security huge. measures. That's huge. Because, again, I mean, just in covering this now for the past couple of months, to see this, I don't want to call it an about-face on Europe, but to, to have the conversation go from why isn't Europe going with the U.S.? Again, on this nonpartisan issue as it relates to Huawei ZTE, and then to see them suggest otherwise, especially when President Trump's over there in London on the 70th anniversary of NATO. Not for nothing, Rob. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a big change. I'm glad to see it in, coming to fruition. All right, Rob, thanks for coming in. Anything else we should know about? No, but thanks for All having right, me. Thanks for coming in, for stopping by. Always a pleasure. Rob Strayer, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Cyber and International Communications and Information Policy. At the U.S. State Department. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Coming up, panel reacts to the impeachment saga of the day. That report just got released where you break it down with Mac Gorman and Richard Fowler. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. All of that plus President Trump sparring with French President Emmanuel Macron. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Richard Fowler, the Democrat, is here. Matt Gorman, the Republican, is here. Hello, gentlemen. How are we doing? Can't complain. Living the dream a day at a time, right? We're hello, positive. Hello, hello. We're optimistic. Tuesday. We're grateful. Everyone having a good day? It was freezing out today. It was, was absolutely it? freezing. The, the wind was nuts. You know, the wind was nuts. It woke me up in the middle of the night. But listen, I'm up on Capitol Hill, and I'm covering the impeachment and trade. And I got to be honest, I think the person who had the worst day today was Rudy Giuliani. Did you see this report that got released? Okay, so the House Intel Committee releases this report. Republicans say it's a dud. Democrats say that high crimes and misdemeanors impeach him. They're voting on it, I believe, in like the next hour up on Capitol Hill. And then tomorrow, the House Judiciary Committee 
is going to have their stab at, at impeachment. But essentially, records of Giuliani calls cited in report. This was on the Bloomberg Terminal. The report puts Trump personal lawyer Rudy Giuliani at the center of a scheme to force out the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine and pressure that country's government to investigate Joe Biden's family and a conspiracy theory that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election. So the House actually obtained AT&T call records showing Giuliani in contact with phone numbers associated with the White House, OMB, top intel folks, and the like. I mean, Republicans are saying Richard Fowler, Democratic strategist, and of course, nationally syndicated radio show host and Fox News contributor. All those things. All those That's things. That's a lot. Plus, a, plus, plus, what else? How would you define yourself? I'm an American storyteller. <laughs> Richard Fowler, uh, Republicans are saying that Democrat or that the president rather is able to do whatever kind of foreign policy negotiations he wants to do. But bad day for Rudy. Why? So if the I, president put him up to this. I, I think it's a bad day for Rudy, but I also think it's a bad day for the president. And I think it, the pre, in the premise of your sort of question there, in lies the bad day. In the in the July twenty fifth call, the transcript that the president t- tells everybody to read, he refers to Rudy Giuliani. He actually in, in, in implores the Ukrainian prime minister to talk to my buddy Rudy. And so now if everything was above board and this was a perfect call, then the White House needs to answer why is it that the the president's personal attorney was making calls to the OMB. Now let's be very clear, the Office of Management and Budget. The Office of Management and Budget is a government agency-facing department. It doesn't deal with everyday American citizens. It deals Uh, with- Budget guys, Mark Zandi. Yeah, it deals with agencies. It deals with the Department of Defense. So the fact that you're- the numbers. They're the math whizzes. Exactly, but the fact that your personal attorney is making a phone call to this department and if it was everything was above board then you should have no problem with telling the american people why he was calling the office of management i'm old enough to remember when omb was only around every now and then when you wanted to shut down the government um i want to play for you chairman adam schiff the democrat from california matt gorman our republican Uh, take a listen to what schiff said today about all of this here he is are we prepared to say that henceforth we must expect from this president and those who follow that there will be a certain amount of corruption in which the national security of the country will be compromised. And then beyond that, he goes on to criticize sham investigations. Here's Chairman Schiff. That's what the president wanted, these two sham investigations, one into uh, Joe Biden, uh, also debunked and discredited, uh, that, that sham investigative theory, but also into this idea that Ukraine interfered in our election, not Russia. All right, Matt, break it down for us. Well, look, I think in, in, on the whole, Republicans are going to go to bat for the president. However, we will not go to bat for Rudy Giuliani. I think that is where there's a key distinction. I want to slow down there. Matt Gorman, folks, just said Republicans will go to bat for the president. They will not go yeah. to bat for former New York City mayor Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, there's a difference. There, there, there's a key difference. Look, when Republicans, they're going to you know, uh, work on behalf of their president, they're not going to go out on a limb for Rudy Giuliani. Right. So if worse comes to worse, I think they will cut off the limb with Rudy Giuliani standing when on you it. actually think of it. I was talking yeah. to a senior. Well, but, I mean, I think this, this raises a question, though, and I think my question is, is for you, sir, is how in a world, how do you sort of cut the limb off and leave Rudy Giuliani hanging out there when this whole time Donald Trump has called him his personal attorney? He has called himself Donald Trump's personal attorney and he's making calls to the president. He's making calls to the Office of Management and Budget. He's making calls to the chief of staff. Like, how do you sort of delineate? How do you separate that? Because it's he. He's the one who's doing it. Yeah, right? but, he, but uh, and, at, the, and, at the direction of the president, as per that, the White that, House transcript. That is, again, where the rub is. That's what they will argue, right? <laughs> like, as of right now, there is no 
really visual, audio, whatever, right, beyond a, any proof point that he was in the phone, Trump was in the phone himself. So what they will do is they will delineate what he, Rudy did and what Trump did, right? And and that is, I think, the rub of where this will happen. Richard, you might disagree, but what, what Gorman, if you're listening to us, you know, driving along at home, I mean, what, what Matt Gorman is doing right now is describing the strategic approach and the wiggle room that moderate Republicans, that the Mitt Romneys of the world have as they navigate this. You're shaking your head no, but I'm saying this is the playbook. He oh, just no, gave I, th- us the playbook. I, I agree that this you is know? the playbook. Yeah. Herein lies and that's pro- what we do here. We talk about the policy. We talk about oh, the playbook. Oh. We let folks decide. Go ahead. I agree. I think herein lies my problem with this playbook is that this is far – this should for, – for moderate Republicans, for every American, this should go far beyond the playbook. And we should really be asking ourselves the question – are we okay with somebody's personal attorney calling the OMB? I hear you. Are we okay with the president you w- withholding congressional aid to sort of get some sort of right. political dirt on his opponent? This is about our democracy, and this goes far beyond political party. Oh. And I think that's the question that Democrat, that both Democrats should ask themselves as they go down this impeachment well, road, as well as Republicans. Here's President Trump's response today when he was in London. Uh, here's what he had to say about Adam Schiff. Take a listen. Adam Schiff is a deranged human being. I think he grew up with a complex for lots of reasons that are obvious. I think he's a very sick man. Very sick, deranged. I mean, you're hearing that from President Trump. All right, let's go back to Capitol Hill, though, because Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who candidly is really one of the power brokers behind the scenes of all of this. I mean, it's looking like the House is going to impeach President Trump. And then it's going to get to the Senate for the trial. Everybody wants to know what the kingmaker of Washington, D.C. thinks, Mitch McConnell. Take a listen to Leader McConnell. Here he is. So that is a myriad of options, which doesn't give you an answer. But there is no answer at this point. That's my point. There is no answer at this point. So he's saying essentially as it comes to the impeachment inquiry, he's saying – He's saying whether or not the House or the Senate can agree on procedures for how to move forward, the Senate could take considerations from the Chief Justice. Mm-hmm. So what's the what's the play for McConnell in terms of the Senate trial, Mac Warmer? What Co- are you hearing? A couple things. I, I think, number one, you're not going to see a Tret lot dashel type agreement. Um, but however, right, McConnell realized that he needs to have an actual trial. I really don't think you're going to see a motion to dismiss, at least not in the first two, three three weeks possibly. I mean, he said six to eight weeks. There's going to be, you know, there's going to be a trial. And look, I think also, you know, I think you're going to see possibly when this passes the House, I think it's beneficial for McConnell to keep the senators running for president in this well of the Senate chamber for six days a week, seven hours a day. And so, look, that that's the reality of it. And I think that you want to talk, we'll segue into 2020 a tad. Mayor Pete, Joe Biden are going to be totally unencumbered. Um, as they kind of traipse around Cedar Rapids and Des Moines. Um, but look, I think in, uh, p- pivoting back, I think what you're going to see is I think McConnell realizes that it's it's in everyone's interest to have a trial that is open. I think in Republicans' interest, they want one that doesn't seem like it was a um, kind of a railroading. So they can, in the, you know, in their mind, kind of absolve the president. And I think certainly Democrats want the chance to you know, prosecute the case to the public on the president. Listen, I'm pretty sure if you talk to any Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders supporter or Amy Klobuchar supporter, for that matter, they would understand that their those their three presidential candidates have a political 
obligation and a moral obligation and a democratic obligation and a constitutional obligation to return back to Capitol Hill and do their job, and they'll do just that. And, and I think this sands whatever happens in a 2020 election. I think this is a argument that Republicans are making to sort of spook Democrats from having an impeachment hearing. But I think what's really important here is that we really look at the information that was brought out in this investigation, that was brought out in this inquiry. Not only did we see what was in this report, we also saw the president in live real time sort of bully a witness, right? We saw all of this happen in live real time. And these are all things that we should be asking ourselves. Is this the behavior we want espoused by the president of the United States of America? So just if you're playing along at home, folks, so the House Intel Committee in the next hour or so going to likely on a party line vote, all indicators is it'll be a party line, they're going to advance their report to the House Judiciary Committee, which is set to have a hearing tomorrow. That's chaired by Jerry Nadler, the Democrat from New York. Then the reason we bring up McConnell is because Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has to be planning behind the scenes for the rules for the Senate trial if Speaker Pelosi in the House of Representatives votes to impeach President Trump, and then it goes to the Senate for a vote, a trial to convict. If it's convicted, then the president gets removed from office. All right. So here's why this matters. McConnell comes out today and talks uh, to reporters and says that he's going to try to get a procedural package accomplished with minority leader Chuck Schumer. That is what happened during the last impeachment saga in the Clinton White House. Now, if Schumer says absolutely not and there's no rules, McConnell then, likely on a party line vote, will advance a bill and the Republicans will advance the bill on voting on rules for the Senate trial. So what does that mean? It means that there's going to be a hearing tomorrow, then there's likely going to be the impeachment vote maybe by the end of the year. Are you still both hearing by the end of the year yeah. in January? Yeah, I would yeah. Say by, the, yeah, end by the end of the year. And then next, then the, in the Senate, the first big vote will be this fight over rules for the road. All right, so that's where we stand on impeachment. Coming up, I want to pivot to foreign policy. Did you guys hear about this? President Trump and French President Emmanuel Macron, did you see this? Did mm -hmm. you follow this? Oh, did we see it? Oh, it was it was <laughs> like I was I I'm at the White House with our with our camera guy, Tim Koss, my good friend Tim Koss. And uh, we were our, I, it was fascinating as a reporter and who was interested in, in foreign policy just to see French President Emmanuel Macron and President Trump going toe to toe across the pond. As they say, that's coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm 
Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. So President Trump's traveling overseas, and he is in London meeting with various heads of state as part of the NATO summit, the 70th year of NATO. All of this comes as the president has been increasingly critical of the NATO alliance, and really as he's gone toe-to-toe with French President Emmanuel Macron. Uh, I'm joined by two political all-stars, Matt Gorman, Vice President at Targeted Victory and former NRCC Communications Director, and Richard Fowler, nationally syndicated radio show host and a Fox News contributor. So this, we're covering this, it was at the White House, we're covering this, and all of a sudden, they go into the back and forth with the cameras and they get the press conference. And the exchange between Trump and Macron was riveting. I want to play for you both the exchange, the back and forth. Take a listen to what Macron and Trump had to say about ISIS. Here it is. Your number one problem are not the foreign fighters. This is the ISIS fighters in the region. And you have more and more of the fighters due to the situation today. This is why he's a great politician, because that was one of the greatest non-answers I've ever heard. <laughs> and that's okay. Because sometimes there are, there is, <laughs> you can have some temptation from the, the U.S. side, I don't say about President Trump, but could be the press. To say this is European responsibility, I'm sorry to say that. I mean, it was really fascinating. Uh, who wants to? Who wants this first, Matt, Richard? Go ahead, Richard. You dumb. Go ahead, man. Because I mean, to sure. see it in real time, uh, to see Emmanuel Macron go after President Trump and the president really going after him back, riveting. You know what it reminded me of? Uh, what did it remind you? You know, it reminded me of a little movie called Love Actually, and <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> When Billy Bob wow. Thornton and Hugh Grant went after each other in the one-on-one in the press conference. But all jokes aside. Can I tell you? Yeah. That is my least favorite. I never got oh, the appeal Oh, you are actually. so wrong on that. I have <laughs> so I, wrong my whole on that. entire life. I think it's the most highly overrated holiday film ever invented. No, that's a Christmas story. No. Ooh. Oh, yeah. You're so wrong. You know what the best is? A... Home Alone. Kevin! No, I agree with that. <laughs> all right, we're off anyway, topic. Anyway. Um, I never was a Love Actually fan. Go ahead. <sighs> Yeah. No, I mean, look, like I, I, that was riveting. And, you know, I was, I was reading the story how, you know, the Trump, uh, both the Trump White House and also the, you know, France and a couple of other folks were prepping for this. And it was very funny because this was this dynamic was at the center of this whole NATO thing. Right. The, the Macron Trump was a bromance, not much of a bromance anymore. And, you know, look, I think that part of it is, you know, for the cameras. I think they you know, they both wanted to seem strong against the other. Um, you know, and look, I think you can certainly I think most Republicans oppose what Trump did in, uh, when it came to Syria recently. Um, you know, but I think as long as there's no action on NATO, he's reaffirming Article five like he had to walk it back previously. You know, and, and they seemed like uh, the foreign countries wanted to kind of placate him. I think that as long as the action's not words, I think most Republicans will be okay. I think you could cut that tension that you saw between those two world leaders of the knife. I mean, the tension was obvious. And I think it really speaks to where Macron sees himself in the world. As Angela Merkel power sort of weans, right, and she becomes a weaker leader, and she sort of drifts off into the sunset, which is what's happening, Europe is looking for a new leader, and Macron wants that job. Uh, and so what you saw there was a European leader who says, I am sort of the voice of Europe. Uh, I speak for Europeans all across, across the entire Right. union and i'm going to take this president on in a very real way and that's what we saw play I mean, the out the backdrop to all of this are tariffs right the, yeah. the yes. you've got you've got macron and the french coming out within the last 24 hours with some digital taxation laws 
And essentially, that's going to negatively impact Amazon, Facebook, the FANG stocks. And Trump doesn't like that. He actually said that in the press conference. He said, look, a lot of the CEOs of those companies don't like me, but I don't like, you know, I don't like to, it's for America to tax American companies, not for, for other companies. So there's this, this really heavy hitting backdrop where economically speaking, both of these world leaders head in, headed into this encounter with intense economic pressure. But what I found interesting is from a national security perspective, both President Trump, we know that President Trump has attacked NATO in the past, and the U.S. being the largest investor of NATO, but Macron has been hitting, has been hitting NATO and, and called it and said that NATO was on its quote unquote brain death. And President Trump took that particular comment, and this is what he had to say about Macron's rhetoric of NATO. Here he is. It got to be unfair for the United States because the United States was paying a disproportionate amount. And I heard that uh, President Macron said NATO is brain dead. I think that's very insulting to a lot of different forces, including a man that does a very good job in running NATO. But what I, what I, I say this with zero humor. What I don't understand is what's the difference? Because President Trump, Matt, has been critical of NATO and now... Uh, Macron has been has been critical of NATO. Yeah, I thought no. they would agree on this. <laughs> it's true. No, I mean, look, like I, I think Trump sees an opening politically. Like he's not going to lose a single vote by a believing that Europe should pay its fair share by b taking on the president of France and c defending American corporations or American companies uh, against European taxes. So either of those scenarios. Um, he's not going to lose politically at home. And, and, and I, we've talked about this a lot. He, you're not going to lose a single vote by taking on a foreign country, whether it's China or Europe, uh, in taking on them when it comes to tariffs. Or I, I beg to differ on that point. And don't get me wrong. I think, I think you're right in your initial analysis when it comes to France. I don't think the president's going to lose a vote there. But I think you can't look at this particular Macron sort of exchange in a vacuum. You have to look at it from an entire worldview. And from an entire worldview, what you see is, is this. A weakened president who was under an impeachment inquiry at home. On top of that, he promised the American people that he was going to set China straight. And now here we sit going into year three of this Chinese trade war with no solution. And the news that broke today from the president's mouth is, well, we might not have a deal until the end after the election, with which China? means another, yeah. yeah. And which means this, which means for manufacturers who have to budget out their next year, they're not sure what they're going to do. For farmers, they're not yeah. sure what they're going to do. For vacuum makers, they're not sure what they're going to do. This is a re this has right. real yep. implications. And if you read the Washington Post, though, over the weekend, they talked, they went back into Pennsylvania in the Midwest, and they're crediting Trump because they're saying he's the only one actually taken on this issue, you know? And he's the only one who's actually, everybody's talked about it, he's the only one that's actually done it. I, I get that argument, but the Farm Bureau also said that more farms have gone bankrupt in the past year oh, than ever in American this history. This is a wonky debate. I like <laughs> it. I'm impressed. Uh, listen, just to, to put a, a period on the uh, on the foreign policy talk, I was also struck by the development with regards to Turkish President Erdogan and both Macron and Trump saying that they are going to be discussing Turkey's continued purchases of the S-400 from Russia. That used to be such a, a point of agreement where no NATO ally would, would purchase from Russia. Mm -hmm. I mean, and to see two ideologically, politically speaking, opposed world leaders have to deal with President Erdogan just so brazenly 
It's quite remarkable to say that. I least. mean, this is after, though, Kevin, the president called Erdogan a friend. And I don't think there's any good foreign policy out there who thinks this Erdogan is a friend, especially after his behavior with the Kurds in Syria. All right, coming up, what's on the panel's radar? Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. And Mac Worman's here, Republican strategist, and Richard Fowler, Democratic talking. Is talking had a bad word? Uh, I don't know. Is it? Do, you, do you identify as a talking head? No. Remember the Talking Heads, that band? Yeah. Uh, it was a good band. Overrated. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just full of opinions today. Clearly. It's the Christmas story of bands, is what you're saying. Well, uh, no. Oh, no, it's oh, the Love Actually. No, that's not true. Of bands. I used to know someone who was a big Talking Heads fan, and I just, I never got it. I never got it. Um, what was I going to say? Okay, what's on your radar? Who wants to go first? I'll go first. <laughs> Matt Gorman just jumping right in there. He's, he told me when he came in, he said, wait till you hear what's on my radar. I said, save it. I want to be surprised. Go I said ahead. that because, Kevin, do you know 10 years ago what, what happened today? I mean, 10 years ago. A man named Mike Sorrentino and a woman named Nicole Polizzi jumped oh on the pop culture God. radar screen and Jersey Shore was born, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my all-time Jersey Shore, reality. 10 years ago today, debuted. And I know you'd like that. That's why I, I said it. I love it. Saved How it for is you. it related to politics? It's really though. not, but I wanted the one I want, the one That's I was okay. talking about politics. That was for I you. needed that. To, this, that yeah. yeah, I needed that. Um, but the real one is, okay, obviously everybody knows Kamala Harris Wait, dropped out. 10 years of Jersey Shore. 10 years. Shore. You know, we should just, uh, listen, if you don't like reality television, you're missing out. I just, that show is so iconic. Yes. Um, the reboot's been great. Eh. You're admitting to the American people that you're watching the reboot. I'm not admitting. I don't believe in guilty pleasures. I think that, that <laughs> nothing, I don't think that that should be a thing. I love reality television. Yeah. I, don't I love it. it. So, obviously, Kamala uh, Harris dropped out today, but what does that mean for the debate stage, right? It's going to be all white. Um, Cory Booker has still not yet qualified. Andrew Yang likely will, but he hasn't yet. Um, so, what are we looking at now? You know, where's her 4% go? Two weeks, Los Angeles. Yeah. I think we have some signs on where her four percent goes. I mean, what we saw today, one of her, one of the person, who, well, the person who endorsed her, one of the, I guess, members of the legislature in South Carolina, switched his endorsement to Joe Biden. I think, and that will be the move. Uh, and, and I think it's, I think that's an interesting point you brought up because it was one of the same point that I mentioned that you're not going to. So are we on to what's on your radar? Just so yeah, I that was the okay. same thing. Uh, oh, wow, this that, is the first joint radars. You yeah. can't do that. You have to think on the spot of something else. No, but this is actually a good thing to be on the radar. All right, fine. This is the first debate that there'll actually be only six candidates on the stage. Um, yes, this field, this candidate, this group of can this pool of candidates will be less diverse than we've seen prior to, and so I think it's going to be very critical on these candidates, especially Joe Biden, who has a lion's share of the black vote right now, as well as the and as well as the Latinx vote, to really figure out to have a great debate performance if he wants to continue to be the front runner. And I think it's also going to be it's going to be very important for Elizabeth Warren as she goes into this debate to really figure out how she's going to tell the story of I have a plan for everything. How am I going to pay for this and what implications that's going to have on middle class families? All right. Well, that's uh, so both Kamala Harris is what's on your radar. No, not both. What was she's out. on the radar? <laughs> Okay. Kamala Harris for the people. She's I mean, still for the people. She's just that. no longer she's now one of president. the people. Just, I mean, no, just she's still one of the people. Wait, wait, wait. No, but in all seriousness, such a serious contender. 
a, yeah. d- a Democrat senator from California bursting onto the political scene. The state's former attorney general uh, really had the prominent, most memorable debate performance of this cycle thus far and and spe- and dropping out. I mean, it, it is interesting. And it, it, I, and she, it, she has the most raw political talent, I would have said, going into this year of any of the contenders. Yeah. But it, look, it was squandered. I think, you know, she didn't know who she was. And, and that was true whether it was her background or as a prosecutor, how to deal with that, the moderate versus left lane, and simply just how she talked about health care. She was not ready for that. And she took her time in the first debate. And, and it, it squandered in the second. And I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that she's leaving the stage and on Tom Steyer staying on the stage. And the reason why I think that matters is because... Remember, the, the Kamala Harris spent a lot of time pre- pressing the flesh and raising money, raised a grand total of $24 million. Tom Steyer spent that out of his personal wallet already, which really speaks to the problem and that we have. with the Bloomberg effect. Yeah, and then the Michael Bloomberg, who spent who you know spent a lot of money himself, yeah. more double, almost $10 million more than Somehow, what Kamala Harris raised for her yeah. entire campaign or just an ad buy, which really wow. speaks to the fact that we are in an, or we're in an election where money in politics has a real impact, and it could... We have like out literally and less out than a minute. And I, wait, wait, no, there, stop, 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 stop. Oh, sorry. We have literally less than a minute. I mean, is that? Do you think that's going to play well in the base? All that money? Oh, I think I think all voters should be asking themselves their quest, this question: Is is it okay to have this amount of money in our politics? Do you think it will play well with the Democrats? And the no, program? I don't, don't think so. Right, as long as it's, as it's as as their money, they can do what they want. Just as a I'm disclaimer, out. Michael Bloomberg is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News. What's on my radar? Because it is. You know, I, 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 you guys picked the same thing. I can say what's on my radar in 30 seconds. North Korea. North Korea says that it was preparing a choice of Christmas gifts for President Donald Trump and the country's latest effort to pressure the U.S. to offer more concessions in nuclear talks before the new year. I'm reading from the Bloomberg ter- Terminal. A top North Korean diplomat said in a statement that the onus was on the U.S. to determine how the regime would behave through the holiday season. They've accused the Trump administration of dragging out talks to bolden President Trump's political stance heading into the elections. That does it for me. Thank you to our panel. Thank you to Rob Strayer. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit returns to London on April 25th for a solution-driven look at the sustainable business and finance landscape, looking at the latest trends in ESG regulations, supply chain innovation, and transition finance. Speakers include leaders from CDP, Emirates Environment Group, TNFD, C-Trace, COA, and more. Summit advisors include City and Schneider Electric. Visit BloombergLive.com slash SBS 2024 to learn more.